Hey there, Freedom Fighters. I'm laughing because, Craig, don't I hear, like, is it a child in the background? There is, yeah. Just right on right on cue, we start recording in my my nine-year-old in the next room. But, yep. I heard the, that. I the, think the it's the like, The joys pew, of pew. remote work, right? Oh, we're still keeping that in. Um, I've got to <laughs> I've got to geek out with you on software because I've been testing the software. I'm using it right now that I think eliminates that, but we'll talk about that in in a minute. First, I should introduce you. Um, Craig Hewitt is the founder of Castos. What they do is basically everything to do with podcasting. I mean, they'll host your podcast files. They'll make it look nice on your website. They'll give you a website, and I just discovered also they'll do editing services for you. They'll do tra- you do transcripts also as part of your service. Am I right? We do. Yep. Yeah, basically everything put in together. When people ask me, Andrew, who do you use to host your site? I don't even want to tell them. Do not copy me. I'm legacy with some of this stuff because we <laughs> we had to build a lot of what Castos, uh, Craig's company, already has in it because it didn't exist when we started. And so don't copy me. Go look for more modern software. And I think Castos is that modern software. All right. Uh, I invited him here to talk about how he built it, especially as a non-developer. And um, and we can do it thanks to two phenomenal sponsors. The first is going to host your website right. It's called HostGator. I'll tell you later why you should go to HostGator.com slash Mixergy. And the second, when you're ready to do email marketing, I don't see Castos doing heavy email marketing. Maybe we should talk about this. Uh, when you're ready to do it, I'm looking at your face, by the way, Craig, because I feel like a lot of times you're you're either happy with what I'm saying. You're like, Andrew, what the hell are you talking about here? We do no, email marketing. <laughs> Quit insulting me. We just met. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's all uh, it's all like layers, right? Like I, I think everyone does a little bit of this. It's just how well you do it. All right, I'll say that my sponsor for email marketing is called Send In Blue. I'll tell you later why. If you're growing your email list, you want to know about SendInBlue.com/slash/Mixergy. All right, first, Craig, what's your revenue? Uh, we're doing just under one and a half million ARR right now. Okay, impressive. Um, we were talking about the child in the background and how I'm now at a WeWork. Uh, now that I'm in Austin, Texas, I've kind of been moving from Airbnbs to recording at WeWork. To my latest experiment, dude, is this. Where where do you record? Because you had trouble doing this. Most of the time, I work from home. I, I record in my office at home most all the time, um, mm-hmm. just for lack of a better place. But, but it's pretty good. Like it sounds pretty good, and it's usually pretty quiet. But yeah. Here's my experiment. I've been recording from offices forever. I love working in offices unlike most people, but I do not enjoy working out of these air. Um, well, definitely not out of Airbnbs. And also I'm not enjoying working out of this WeWork. And I, I've lately been very envious of people who can just go build their businesses and coffee shops. I'm going through Austin here and I see people sometimes with these whacked out set, setups like a laptop, Two monitors that fold out of the laptop on the side, no <laughs> exaggeration, special stands for the iPad that goes along with it or the phone that goes. And I, I think that they're a little whacked out. I'd be much better off with just a simple computer, which is what I see a lot of people building their businesses on at these coffee shops. But I envy the fact that they could work remotely and I'm stuck in an office that I don't enjoy here. So here's my latest experiment. Yesterday, I said yes to doing an interview with someone where they interview me about my book, Stop Asking Questions. And I said, I would like you to consider interviewing me outdoors. If it doesn't work, you let me know and we'll reschedule. But would you be willing to try it? She said, sure, I'll try it. And so I took my my laptop. I took my mic stand. I took my microphone. I went to Mozart <laughs> Coffee here in Austin. I hooked up my mic stand to their bench, no, to their, to their um, picnic table. Nobody cared. I connected my microphone and then... In order to have better uh, sound, what I did was I used this app called, we've talked about this on past interviews, Crisp. It it takes out all the random side no- noises. If you go to Crisp's, Crisp's homepage, they say that their app will even get a crying kid off a regular mic, the one that's built into a computer. I said, all right, game on, people. I set it up. I turned the whole thing on. I'm sitting there at Mozart, and I literally said to people who are on the other side of my computer, can you please make noise to see if it comes on? That's awesome. Noise came on. It was amazing. I think I'm going to record interviews from random coffee shops in the future with a few exceptions. There might be some times where I need to be settled into an office, but that frees me up so much to go and be in the world. Yeah. I mean, I, so, so we've always been a remote team and I've always worked from like a home office, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm becoming, con, I don't know if it's contrarian, but, but similar to you, like I want an office. I want a place I go to every day that is like my workplace, right? And so that when I come home, mm-hmm. I'm home. And when I'm at work, I'm at work. And I think that that's, 
you know, people talk about like work-life balance of working remotely or working from home. Like it's that separation that a lot of us miss that, that yeah. creates a lot of stress, right? Cause your phone is right there and Slack is on it and you just can, can never put it down. But I think like the times I've really worked at an office a lot, it creates that separation that gives me a lot more calm when, when I'm not working, but I love I your idea find- of, of like bouncing around and I've used crisp. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. It, I, I also find that when you work from an office, everyone else knows to leave you alone. That my kids, sure, they understand they're respectful if I'm working, but there is this time when they need to interrupt. And if it could come at any moment, you can't get lost in work. Same thing with my wife. She'll come in and want to have a conversation. I love her. I want to have conversations with her. But if I'm like focused on something, even if it's just a, a chess game to get myself, you know, to have a few minutes of quiet, I don't want to have a conversation. It's a challenge. And that's one of the, the issues with podcasting. I think that it has been an intense setup for a long time. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be that. It also, here's an, another change that's happening in podcasting, and you've noticed this, at Castos. We used to think of podcasting as a way of replacing broadcast media, and we did replace broadcast media, uh, broadcast radio, let's say. But more and more, I'm finding people contact me and say, Andrew, I just want my team to hear what's going on. They're listening to podcasts anyway. I don't want to set up a whole video YouTube thing. I just want to update them. How do I do it without having this stuff leak outside of the company or just be focused on our team? And that's a hot new space, right? It is. Yeah. And frankly, that's where almost all of our energy is going these days is, is private podcasting and specifically for companies to communicate internally. You know, so we mm-hmm. work with with a lot of companies that say the same thing, like, hey, we're, you know, we're employing a lot more millennials now who just refuse to get on 1100 Zoom calls a week and they mm-hmm. don't want to be strapped to their desk and, and you know, on the schedule. And they want to consume a bunch of information that's on our shitty SharePoint site or trapped right. in some kind of LMS that they never, ever like engage. And so, hey, why can't we just take, rip the audio out of all of that legacy content, put it in, in podcast format? And distribute it. And, but like you said, the big question is like security and access, right? How do you control right. who has access to this and who doesn't? And that those are the only people that they can access and they can't share and, it. And, and you know what else? Kind of thing on Reddit. They don't want to download another crappy app that's just for enterprise. What they want is in whatever app they're listening to it on and whatever whacked out system, they want to be able to access it. Can you guys actually broadcast into Spotify? Spotify is a, a unique beast in the podcasting world. They're a very unique beast, but they're the only ones that don't allow like individual or external right. RSS feeds into right. their mobile app. But Apple, Overcast, Google, uh, all, all allow you to, you know, paste in a private RSS feed, and that's how that's one of the ways we power private podcasting. We do have our own crappy mobile app. No, it's not crappy. I think it's <laughs> wonderful. But for folks that don't want to mess with that or like there's security concern around private RSS feeds because they are shareable, you know? Um, right. And, and so we give folks the option, hey, use our mobile app or use the private RSS feed because it does increase adoption a lot, right? The company I, podcast is right next to Mixer G or whatever else right. you're listening to. People are more likely to listen. Did you notice that uh, Ben Thompson from Stratechery He's got a private po- uh, podcast in uh, in Spotify. I don't know how he's done it, but if you try to hit play and you're not a paid customer, well, this episode plays uh, here. And then the one underneath it has a lock on it. It doesn't play. Get access is a button that takes you to a website where I guess you can pay to do it. Anyway, pretty interesting yeah. stuff. So it's coming yeah. into there too. Are- it is. I mean, I think they're running all that through Anchor. Um, now, which is how you can charge money for content inside I thought he uh, built Spotify. his own thing. Mm, okay. He might have. He, he might be building in, which to me says that I think Spotify is on the verge of accepting this, of realizing that they don't want to have uh, just stray RSS feeds in their system because it's probably too techie for them, but they do need something. And basically, you're on the right track. The future is this. The future is people saying... Like my friend who's in sales, he wants to train his salespeople. He wants them to hear good and bad sales calls that other salespeople have on the team, right? He doesn't want them to be on a freaking Zoom call staring at him while they're looking at nothing to listen to some dude do a Zoom call. He'd much rather go, I clipped this thing. Here's what I like about what he did. Here's what I don't like about it. Now here's how you can do it a little bit better this week. Let's go get them. Boom. Done. That's the answer. All right. You got yeah. into this not from a tech background. You're a dude like like everyone who's listening to us now. You're just listening to podcasts, seeing people like build businesses and feeling like I want to be there. What are some of the podcasts you listen to? 
Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was like Rob Walling on Startups for the Rest of Us, Pat yeah. Flynn, uh, Tropical NBA guys. Uh, those were some of the the first ones, and yeah, just really got the bug. Like I can own my own time because I was in sales before, so yeah, don't have a technical background, um, and was just like God, this. You know, I don't want to be traveling all the time. I don't want to be away from my kids. I want to own my own time and and kind of continue this entrepreneurial kind of journey. Cause like in sales, I think a lot of salespeople are entrepreneurial, right? Cause they say like, Hey, I can go affect this and I can make it happen. I can earn a bunch of money and make a difference instead of just being straight salary. And, and so, yeah, I, I started my own podcast and saw really quickly like this, this is hard. <laughs> and there's podcast? a lot of, uh, it's called rogue startups. It's still mm-hmm. going. I, I podcast with a guy named Dave Rodenbaugh. Um, and we just talk about entrepreneurship and, and growing our businesses, but but really quickly saw like this is a lot, right? Like editing and software and all this yeah. kind of stuff. And that's when we started our our services business. And so the first thing you said was, I'm going to do all that back end work for clients. All they have to do is get on a mic and record, send me the file, I'll take it over from there. Yep, that's exactly it. That's still a great business right now, don't you think? It really is. It really is. I mean, we talk internally a lot now. That like our, our sales, our sales guys now, when they have the conversation about this with the right type of person, you know, like you or like me, people that run small businesses, the value prop is so strong, right? You record, send it to us to do everything else. So you can focus on recording more content and growing your business, but not being like amateur audio engineer and all this kind of stuff that everyone has to do to, to record content. Yeah. Record, send it to us. We do everything else. I've been, I've been loving Riverside. That's another thing that allows me to record in a coffee shop because Riverside records my side of the conversation on my computer, your side on your computer. I don't have to worry about a crappy internet connection from my hotspotted phone ruining the recording <laughs> right. that I have of you, right? It's recorded yeah. on your computer. It's crisp. It's great. Um, and yeah. then there are backups everywhere. And so the other benefit of that is we've switched to that. And now I can say to our editor, can you just grab it off Riverside? I don't even have to upload it to Google Drive anymore. It's just sitting right there. I love that. Yep. You guys use Riverside yep. a lot. Do your clients use it? Yeah, we use Squadcast, um, but but it's a similar kind of yep. kind of product. Yep. Um, yeah, we use it all the time. We have a bunch of clients that use Riverside and, and know the folks at both places. They're, yeah, they're both great tools. Yeah. So um, when you decided that you were going to do this as a service, how'd you get your first customers? Yeah, it was just kind of like my my very small network at the time. You know, people I knew that were in the kind of bootstrappy startup space and and had podcasts already. And I just approached them and said, hey, I'm doing this thing. Are you interested? And, you know, ah. I'll, I'll do it for free for the first one. And they said, yeah, free is great. And then we did it and they said, oh, but this is great. And, you know, so we charged, I think, 300 bucks a month at the time. For how many um, episodes? For like weekly episodes. So like we- four, four a week. Okay. And so I like what you did there. You didn't go to people who didn't have a podcast and say, you should do a podcast. You went to people who knew how painful it was and said, don't, don't trust some dude on Upwork. I'll do it for you. And then were you editing it yourself? Yeah, totally. Cause I still had the day job. I was doing it, you know, nights and weekends for a few months. And then we got, you know, a handful of customers pretty quick, was able to hire our first audio editor and, and show note writer. And okay. that person turned in, one of the show note writers turned into like the person that kind of runs that whole side of the business now. Um, What's that business called? Yeah, it's inside Castos. We call it Castos Productions now. Okay. So it's it's kind of our professional services line. And so you're doing this and largely you're able to sell to your friends because you did medical device sales. I've always admired car salespeople. What I should have realized is <laughs> People who are selling in the medical space are even better because you're walking into somebody's office, right? Tom, talk yeah. to me about one of your like what what it was like to sell there. Bring me into that world for a little bit. Yeah, I mean the thing the thing that I never appreciated until now really is like in sales there are several different types of salespeople that can sell in different environments, right? There's really transactional salespeople like, hey, I'm selling this hundred dollar a month thing. And I'm going to get on 10 calls a day and close eight of them. And that's, that's great. And then there are, uh, there's a couple of stakeholders and this is going to be like a four week sales cycle. And then there are ones like we did, that's just like, I'm going to be working on this account for a year before you even have a chance to reply to like an RFP or something. And then there's doctors and hospitals and insurance providers as different stakeholders. You have to manage all of those. And so like, I think for me and with salespeople in general, as we're looking to this is an aside and this is not the question you asked, but like, as you're looking to hire salespeople, you need to ask like, what kind of sale are we doing? And is the person that I'm recruiting the right kind of mindset and set of experience to match up with that? Um, but, but to answer your question more directly, like it, it was a super long sales 
process. Um, and, and a lot of different stakeholders that had really different priorities. Um, and so it was really good training ground to understand those super complex deals because now like, especially selling into these large businesses, we have a similar thing, you know, we have it security, you know, with their concern and then the content folks in the C-suite all with their different, you know, sets of priorities and interests and, and kind of managing and coordinating those is all, is all really important. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think sales is the best training ground for entrepreneurship because you get like a little bit of that experimentation of like independence within a big corporation that can support you. Um, it's kind of the best of both worlds. You know what? After I sold my first company, I just went and took some time off. But then as part of the time off, I wanted to see what other organizations sales um, meetings and sales process were like. I joined Mary Kay. I was a Mary Kay lady. I get the whole box of cosmetics and everything. And the reason I did it was I wanted to go to the meetings. I wanted to see how they train people who are not salespeople to, to sell. And one of the things that stood out for me was the way that this woman, uh, Kim Vu, was running her sales meetings. It was motivational. It was educational. She was teaching them. She was encouraging them. She was giving them these like um, goals to hit, but also little rewards that I never appreciated until I got in there. Like, why wouldn't you just give me money? Well, there's something in, <laughs> in the sales meeting that makes that reward significant that you're chasing it. Anyway, it was, it was eye-opening. I definitely did not do my sales meetings nearly as well as she did hers. And I started to learn one of the things that you took away from selling was the national sales meeting being incredibly valuable. What happened at a sales meeting when you were doing medical devices? Yeah, I think that, that like you're talking about, it was that time where everybody comes together, hears from the president of the sales group. Okay, this is the thing, right? This quarter or this year, we're going to be pushing this product or this initiative. And like I think about it now, especially like we're a distributed team, it, it sometimes is challenging for me to clearly articulate to everyone, hey, this quarter, this is the thing, you know? And so like I took away from our sales meetings, the importance of that messaging internally and for people to rally around like a central thing that we all should be focusing on. Because like when, when we did it then and when we do it now, it's really powerful for everyone to be kind of rowing in that same direction. And when you don't, then everyone has their kind of disparate set of priorities that they think are, are like the most important things. And oftentimes it's not what we as like the founder or the leader um, think is the most important thing, but it's our fault because we're not articulating that in a really kind of structured way. What's your so that was big like, focus now? Yeah. Our big thing is private podcasting now. Uh, okay. So you need all the sales teams to know that. And I'm assuming part of it is so that even if someone's signing up, who's not in, in a business that needs it, if they've got an email address of a company that might need it, you want to be aware, is that it? Or what else is it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's like for us now, it's it's everything. It's product, it's sales, it's marketing, it's even support, right? Because we're onboarding like enterprise level customers now. So it's 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 cool that we have this one kind of North Star and literally everyone in the company is able to help work towards it. Um, and, and like next quarter, it might be something different, but but like probably not because because as you said, like this is like we're so early with this. It's just the most innovative companies are starting to think about this. But I think in five years, everyone that has an LMS or a SharePoint site will have a podcast as a way to communicate with their employees. And so we're we're excited to be on the on the kind of front edge of this. All right. So you're doing your own podcast. You then started editing other people's podcasts, and then you saw that there was a plugin available that you wanted to buy. How did you end up considering this? Yeah, I mean, it's serendipitous, right? Like one of our customers uh, for the editing service came to me and said, he's, you know, his name's Brad Tunard. He's the founder of Delicious Brains, like a big kind of WordPress plugin shop. And he came to me and said, hey, you know, the, the guy that built this seriously simple podcasting plugin is going to work at Automatic and he's going to look into sell the plugin. Um, no, you've wanted to get into a product for a while. You should really think about this. And so I did. And it was you know, price was right. Um, and it just needed to build like the kind of SaaS integration with it. And so, yeah, we acquired the plugin and, and built the, built the first version of what is now Castos, um, to integrate with that for folks to manage what their podcast from their WordPress site, but, but, you know, have their files hosted externally. What did it do? This was called seriously simple podcasting, the plugin. It still is, um, I think yep. available in the plugin store. What did it do? 
Yeah, so it does a couple things. One, it embeds a player automatically. On I mean, your sorry, site, so when you, go you in. when you create it, when you bought it, what did it do? Uh, it had the player. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, it has the player, and it creates an RSS feed uh, that's based on your WordPress site. So a lot of folks say, like, "Hey, I don't want my RSS feed based yep. on Libsyn or Simplecast or something. I don't own it. I want it." Uh, and so folks could go publish content, have a player, and manage their RSS feed. Um, and so what we did is we then connected it to like the SaaS app so that folks could do all that stuff, but also have the files hosted externally. And so that was the because, first version of what is now Castos. Because the problem with hosting the files on the WordPress site is it slows down the site. It increases the price of hosting your WordPress site needlessly, right? Yep. And what else? Was there anything else? Yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of good hosting will just shut you down, right? If you're hosted on WP Engine or something like that, they'll say, "Hey, your bandwidth's been, you know, whatever. Right. We're, we're we're rate limiting you or throttling you or whatever." Um, yeah, and so like in the first version, that was about it. And at this point, like we have a bunch of integrations and way to extend and repurpose your content that hosting on Castos is a lot more a lot more valuable than just the WordPress integration. But it was a really cool way to get started. Cause I mean, we had dozens of customers our first day without any kind of email marketing or any kind of massive like launch campaigns. Like we just, the, the plugin continues to be a fantastic lead gen source for us. Um, and Craig, yeah. right from the beginning, your vision was I'm going to take this plugin and I'm going to add the one thing that it needs, which is hosting of the files off of the WordPress hosting. Right. Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right. Let me take a moment to talk about my first sponsor. It's actually a service that hosts WordPress sites. It's called HostGator. Craig, let me ask you this. If you were starting today and I gave you a HostGator WordPress site, what would you create? How would you get started? You're a guy who wanted to be an entrepreneur. You're starting today. You got nothing but that. Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I, I think I'm biased, but I think like the productized service model is great because yeah. literally all you need is a website, a way to connect to Stripe. And now freaking Stripe has their own forms. You could just send someone the Stripe checkout form and so you just get some good marketing copy on there and start like an SEO agency or, you know, copywriting agency. That's that's what I would do just because I'm not a developer and and I can sell my own time pretty easy. You know what I've seen someone else do? The guy who produced my podcast, um, Jeremy Weiss, he created a company called Rise 25. And what they do is they will do the whole podcast for the company. So you can imagine if there's a a software company that wants to show how their customers are using their software and what kind of things their kinds of customers are doing, they don't want to do the interview themselves. They just outsource it to them. That's what you're yeah. talking about. Any kind of service that somebody would do for themselves in their business that's not core to their business, you can outsource. All right. I love that productized service, whether it's that idea or anything else. When you need a website hosted, if you go to HostGator.com slash Mixergy, you'll get an even lower price than HostGator already charges. And frankly, they're already affordable. So you're going to get a lower price, great service. And frankly, you'll be doing me a solid because I get credit every time you go over there. And boy, I'm glad that people have been going over there. HostGator.com slash Mixergy. All right. You had that plugin. You now needed to go host. Is hosting was it as simple as just having somebody connected into like an AWS uh, account or what? Yeah, I mean, that's what that's what we did is we kind of just abstracted away AWS and mm -hmm. S3 and gave folks a, a place to to store their files. So yeah, you know, you, you have your WordPress site, sign up for a Castos account, get your API key connected there. Then when you upload the files, instead of being hosted locally on your WordPress site, they're yep. hosted on our, our infrastructure. And that's what you're yep. doing. That seems fairly straightforward. Was it as easy as it sounds to build that first version? Yeah, I mean, I think it's all the other stuff, right? And this is five years ago now. So like a lot of things, even around like Stripe wasn't as sophisticated as it is now. You know, we're, we're built on Laravel. And so like usernames and like passwords and all of this stuff, like it's just stuff you have to build, you know, like yeah. it's my first real product. Um, so I learned a lot about how to work with developers, had an absolutely amazing developer that we worked with for a long time um, that was really patient with me as I was learning how to, he was a, a friend of the guy that we bought the plugin from. His name's Jonathan Bossinger. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it was just a referral. You know, we bought the plugin. I said, hey man, Hugh, like I need a developer. Do you know anybody? He's like, yeah, I talked to my friend, Jonathan. Um, and, and just he's got been with super you lucky. Since then. Yeah, he left last year. Um, okay. Decided he didn't want to write see. code anymore. 
And um, so that's cool. He went and is doing something kind of related, but different. And and so was glad to glad to have him with us as long as we did. It was great. You, you told our producer that was a bitter pill. How did you make the transition? Uh, I think we're still figuring it out, to be honest. Like when you really? lose someone that's that much a leader, you know, in the company, um, to replace them is maybe you never, like, I don't know, never is a strong word, but like, maybe you never really replace them. Like you can get all these different pieces in place, but he was such a big part of, of what we did. And, and I think it's just like taking my inadequacies and, and kind of covering them up and, and compensating for them, um, is, is a lot of the value that, that I saw. And so now like we've had to up our game in terms of like how we run product and how we manage development sprints and things like that. Um, because he was able to, to manage so much of that. Wasn't he in Cape town too? Yeah. And so you working totally remotely with him. Yeah. We had not met for like the first two and a half years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so when you're working with him, I guess a lot of it is just trusting him to build what you're, what you've got in mind, having him help coach out what you're looking for. How much of the business was him helping you figure out what you needed and what you weren't aware of? How much? I mean, it's a pretty substantial part. I mean, I think when you're a non-technical founder and it's your first time working with developers, like a, it's a huge learning curve to say, like, I need to understand how to like speak their language and how to spec out new features and, and things like that. And I think you either need a really senior developer that's able to put you in your place and ask you for the things that you need. Um, or, or you have to level up and, and kind of learn that. Uh, and we did, we did a bit of both. Yeah. All right. So for a long time, you were getting your customers from that WordPress plugin. They don't call it a store. What do they call it? They, um, repository the marketplace, the repository. I hate that they use that name. That sounds like suppository. <laughs> it doesn't sound at all friendly. Um, <laughs> okay. But their little apps, big app store, actually, we're sending you customers. Why did you say? I'm going to build a standalone product for people who have no WordPress need. How did you, yeah, what led you to think about that? That was a big change. Yeah, I mean, we, we had a lot of folks coming to us out from outside of the WordPress ecosystem saying like, hey, what you have looks interesting, uh, but I don't use WordPress. Can we, can we use Castos if we don't use WordPress? And for the first like eight or nine months, the answer was no. And we got enough of that interest uh, to where we said, yep, you know, no problem. And so now you can use Castos by itself, which is about half of our customers and about half come from WordPress. And when you're doing that, I guess what my big question is, why did you think that there was room for another player in that market? I think for a long time, Libsyn had the marketplace locked up. They lost it, right? And then there were competitors, but it didn't, it felt like a, like a business that had enough competitors. What was missing in the space? Yeah, I mean, I think that, like you mentioned, Libsyn, they're like, I love them, right? They're 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 a no, great you don't. competitor. They're not. I know, I do, I do, because I mean, that like they just haven't innovated. In no, dude, their logo is years. still a podcast, an iPod. Yeah, there hasn't been an iPod in years. I'm gonna go and check it out right now. Yeah, they're a publicly yeah. traded company. There's, I actually asked someone who was building a business. I said, he's a guy who came out of Sequoia, who came over to my house in San Francisco, and he said, Andrew, here's this vision that I have for the business. He told me what Libsyn's market cap was. I said, why don't you just buy Libsyn's market cap and then add it into that, buy it you know, at their market cap. He goes, there's something about a, a brand. That brand is so damaged. It's so connected to the past that it's really hard to, to upgrade it. And so they're in milk it mode. Um, yeah. there's, I, I don't mean to put them down, but let's be honest about them. Yeah. No, and I think that like, uh, and, and the other kind of big player in the space that I would put in the same boat is Blueberry, right? And they're, uh, right. in a lot of ways, initially a really direct competitor because they also have a WordPress plugin that does a lot of the same things as ours does. And so saw those two. And at the time, like the only really good competitor to them was Simplecast. And I was like, man, like Simplecast is great, but like that they're not going to take all of <laughs> Libsyn and Blueberry's market share. Um, but, but I mean, honestly, like I, I feel for the, the, like the CEO and the leadership and in, in those two companies, because like, yeah, they, they've been around a long time and they're at this, you know, 10 to 15 year old kind of range where they have to like reinvent themselves. And, and I can imagine that's really hard. Like we're, we're five years old or so and, and like still just growing organically and, and everything. 
I can imagine that it's challenging. You know, you look at like Microsoft, right? Like Microsoft had to reinvent themselves in the last few years. And, and it's just a big amount of effort to do that versus, yeah, in maintenance mode, kind of, you know, let, letting things chug along on your, your kind of legacy name. No, you know what? I, here's what I think Libsyn should do. Let's talk a little bit about it. They should, they've got a hundred million dollar market cap. They should buy a good podcast platform that's struggling that has a brand new name and no customers, acquire that, have it as a standalone product, invest their attention in that, and then um, and then maybe even use that their their branding. But they're under a hundred million dollars. There are people who raise who raise more than that in Silicon Valley, right? It's yeah. nothing. And then they have these legacy clients on their platform that I feel bad for. Like Tim Ferriss, I think, is still on their platform. Yeah, I, I think that, I mean, one of the reasons we raise money initially is just because there is so much M&A and investment going on in the space, right? Spotify gobbling up these guys and Amazon gobbling up those guys that like something like that will happen. So, you know, people see the, just the user base and the the market penetration of Libsyn and Blueberry. I mean, the one that blows my mind is SoundCloud. You know, I would have told you right. when we got started, SoundCloud was a huge <laughs> right. uh, threat, right? And now, like, that's Spotify. Spotify just executed, I think, is what it was. But, like, five years ago, SoundCloud should have just started dominating because they actually have a really slick platform and they could have just tweaked it a little bit for podcasting and they could be Spotify today. Right, exactly. But they didn't and they're You not. know who else has a chance and is not doing anything with it? It's YouTube. YouTube, if they had, just like they have YouTube Music as a standalone product, if they created YouTube Podcast as a standalone product that turns every content that they have on there into a podcast, they'd have a winner. But for yep. some reason, they've chosen not to do it. They do say that they, they basically have that experience in YouTube if you turn off the app, you know, just play it in the background and premium members can do it. That's not, not the, the same. same thing. It's yeah. not the yeah. same thing. They could dominate yeah. the space by saying everyone gets to use this in the background and now let's charge. Well, they're not, never going to charge for uploading. Let's just let people upload. And they also have the ad department that could sell to, to background, but they're just not there. And the, none of these players scared you away. None of the, the legacy players that had established connections, none of the new players that were coming in, and none of the ones that could have transitioned properly didn't scare you away because... No, I mean, I, I saw it as opportunity, right? Like you you go and you see like Rob Walling talks about like go into an industry with a hated established competitor, right? And that's that's what he did, right? With Drip against Infusionsoft right. and Marketo and those. And that's, yep. I mean, at the time people didn't hate Libsyn, but like I just saw from a product perspective, like that we can do better than this, right? And, and I think we have, and you know, uh, I think a, a lot of our success is from just like having a better product and, and folks finding out about it. All right, let me talk about my second sponsor. It's email marketing company Send in Blue or marketing automation, I guess, is the way they'd probably prefer that I talk about them. They went into this this hated space, email marketing. I'm going to say well, they, it's their sponsor. I, I don't know them well enough to, to like rag on their competitors, but they've got competitors who either don't do any marketing automation, which means if you sign up to their list, you get you get the same emails whether you bought from the email before or not. So it's like, bye, bye, bye. But I bought from you, dude, just switch it off. <laughs> or in order to do that, you have to pay extra because now you have to keep people on two different lists or God knows what. Send in Blue said, you know what? We're going to do marketing automation. It's going to be done just right. And there's another problem with email marketing, which is you sign up for free or a low price. And then when your email list gets big, they ratchet up the price and then you're stuck just like I'm stuck in, in, in a podcasting app. And so you're stuck and you go, all right, I'm just going to pay. Send in Blue says, yep. you're not going to be stuck with us. We're going to keep it low in the beginning and we're going to keep it low later on and we're going to keep it low, low, low because it doesn't cost that much to send out email. I had no Kagan on here. He created an email competitor. He said, do you know how much it costs to send out email? It's nothing. It's insignificant. Yeah. So it's all upside, but once they got you locked in, they got you locked in. Anyway, Send in Blue will not do that to you. You're going to see all the features that you want and expect out of marketing automation and some that you didn't even know existed, but you're going to love. And they do it at a low price. If you want an even lower price, they're going to take off a big chunk of your first three months and keep it low forever. If you use my URL, go to sendinblue.com slash Mixergy. You may not have heard of them. A lot of my guests have not heard of them, but they're actually used by 175,000 users all over the world. 
Here it is. Sendinblue.com slash Mixergy. All right. Um, by the way, the competitor, here's the other thing that, that Libsyn could do. I don't mean to talk about them, but people, do not copy me. Just copy Craig. Frankly, go test it out. <laughs> the, go look. You know what? Here's what you should do. Go look at the audio player that they have, a Castos, and look at the audio player that, that, that I could have if I was using Libsyn. I don't. I end up using Pat Flynn's thing because I can't deal with their, their stuff. That gives you a sense of like how much care Craig's team puts into their stuff versus the competition. But the competition, what they could do is say, we're just going to milk Andrew. Let's charge him 500 bucks. I wouldn't leave if they charged me 500 bucks a month. Charging me 40 bucks a month. I go, ah, who cares? Ugh. All right. I like that you said, I'm going to go into a space where people hate. Look at the anger that I've got. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm a customer of theirs. <laughs> and I'm telling you, they give me a low price. You're, you're 100% right. I totally get it. All right. You also had to go out and start now to do some some marketing yourself. What worked? So beyond the, the WordPress community, what helped you get new customers? Yeah, I mean, we've always been big on content marketing and uh, fortunately have been able to carry a lot of that that we've been doing for six or seven years, right? Since I started the productized service, a lot of that, you know, it's, it's in podcasting. And so a lot of that content and domain, uh, you know, kind of reputation and stuff like that still carries over for us. And so content marketing is a lot of what drives what we do now um, and, and is probably our biggest active form of of like client acquisition. Um, we do a little bit of paid on on Google, but but not a lot. Yeah. I feel like one of the challenges you have is that you are not building up a big name for yourself. Like you're you're active, you're speaking out, but you talk about like Rob Walling. You're not as known as Rob Walling, for example, right? Yeah. Or Justin Jackson. I don't know why. He doesn't even seem like a big mouth, but he gets a lot of attention. Why do you why do you think that is? Um yeah, I think that some people are just better at promoting themselves than running their business. Um and I'm not saying that about either either of those mm -hmm. guys, but but I think that I think that's just how it is. Um and I, it's just not what I want to do. You know, like I, I started this to, to kind of control my own life and work, work life and what I spend time on. And, and it's, it's maybe a little surprising that like I run a podcasting company and I love podcasting. I love doing stuff like this. Like, it's great, but like, I don't want to like, you know, live stream YouTube about me writing marketing copy right. or something like that. Like a lot of people I do, like, it's just not me. Right. So I would much rather focus internally on our team and helping the people on our team like perform their best and get the most out of, of what they're doing than me be the figurehead of the brand because like it's also just not transferable, right? Like I will not run this company forever. And so like Castos needs to have a much bigger and better name than me. Uh because ultimately like it's it's just it's it's better for the company long term and it's just better leverage, right? Like if I can spend 50% of my day helping our team perform better. That's 15 people times the the amount of kind of output that we can get um, versus me doing it just myself. What about this? I do see your content, but I'm looking at one of your big podcasters is Trash Taste, right? Do you know them? Yep. It's an anime podcast exploring anime, mag, uh, manga, and a bunch of other stuff. I don't see Castos on their site at all. There's no way to know that they're trusting you, and so I might want to trust. Oh, I guess in the player, in the audio player, there's a little thing there. You're not heavy-handed with your with your promotion, right? Yeah, I mean, I think like if you look at our our, our player or our built-in websites that, that come with every podcast, like we want to have a, a little mention of us, and we do link back to to our domain from the player and everything like that. But um, you know, we're not freemium. Like I think if you're free, like Anchor you can do more of that and get away with it. But like people pay us money to right. to use our service. And so like, we don't want to be really heavy handed on, on our branding on someone else's turf. Um, you know, we, we hope and, and do see a lot of people say, Hey, you know, I use Castos, you should check them out. And like that word of mouth is, is really strong, especially in the podcasting space. I think a lot of the kind of creator economy, that word of mouth is really strong because a lot of folks are kind of just figuring all this shit out for the first time. And, and so relying on what, a trusted person kind of has to say and recommends is uh, it just goes a long way. Like as opposed to in a B2B setting, I think it is a little more objective. What do you do on the B2B side? Is it still content? I'm, I'm looking at you on SEMrush to get a sense of what your top uh, content is. It yeah. Like I mean, that. we, we, 
it's uh it's it's a bit challenging frankly like the the private podcasting for companies is such a new thing that like the search volume for it is really low right we rank really high for a lot of those those keywords the, the ones that that we can figure out at least um but we it frankly it's like the big problem we have is driving awareness of this thing of private podcasting as a communications tool for companies and um we're trying to figure it out we don't we don't have a great answer on on like the absolute best way to do that like i think content a little bit i think um educational things like you know webinars and and linkedin events and things like that uh would be really helpful and just getting in front of you know folks in learning and development hr and inside these organizations say like hey the way you've been communicating and engaging with your employees like isn't the only way not that it's better or worse than than what we do is but maybe like adding podcasting to the mix to say like hey when i want to send a message it can be an email it can be a you know a thing in our lms it can be a document or a sharepoint site or it could be a podcast episode um, and so I think just educating the market is frankly, like the big challenge we have and, and we're attacking it from a few different perspectives at this point. I think one of the problems is that it's still challenging to create a podcast, but it's getting easier, right? We talked about Riverside, Squadcast, they make it easier to do it. Eliminating, uh, background noise is getting easier. I, I remember going into some people's offices and they had whole podcast studios. Hell, you know, forget some people's offices. I went to Noah Kagan's house. As soon as we get in, he's got a beautiful house here in Austin. He says to my kids, go run around the house. Go look Go look around. Just don't touch the walls. Noah Kagan, the founder of AppSumo. Uh, he's very <laughs> concerned. Kids should not touch walls. And I'm with him. I hate when my kids touch the walls. But they wander into this one room. It's a whole freaking podcast studio. You hit a button. The whole thing is lit up properly. It's all sound oh, awesome. properly, right? Uh, Neville Medora, the copywriter, he's got that set up too. I think that it's intimidating to have that. And I don't think that's going to be necessary for much longer. I mean, the fact that I'm out there in the world is a good example of what's possible. Yeah, I agree. And especially like, you know, this is a highly produced show and, and it needs to be because you're you're reaching like a mass audience. But if it's me talking to our team of 15 people, like I right. plug my iPhone into my headset and I talk for five minutes and I upload it and that's it. Like there's no editing, there's no EQ and normalization, all this audio engineering that we do because it's just like, me talking to you down the hall, but in podcast. And that's that's what we try to relate to folks. It doesn't have to be fancy. You don't have to have a $500 mic. Um, you need a little bit, right, to, to make it sound good and, and to make it easy. But but it doesn't need to be nearly the level that, that you're talking about or that a lot of conventional podcasts are produced at. And I don't even know that you have to give up on leveling. Like one of the things I'm noticing with Riverside is once the thing is done, they say, do you want to use our magic editor? The magic editor will automatically adjust volume. I'm thinking we're seeing more and more of that. I use Descript. Yeah. Um, Andrew Mason's company, they do automatic volume leveling, which is so helpful. They're going to now um, add a feature that takes the echo out of people's echoey rooms, which drives me freaking nuts. Did we, we offered to buy your microphone. You, you have one, right? What do you have? The, yeah. the Samsung yep. Q2Z. Use something. I can see that on my screen here. Yep, that's exactly. I see, it. Yep, I saw that you plugged into a good mic, right? That's not even going to be necessary soon. All right. Yeah, I mean, I think even even like the 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 phone, the headphones that come with your phone are are like yeah, eighty percent as good as you need. And I agree. I think soon we'll be able to just pop our earpod AirPods in and just go. I think they're I think they're eighty percent, except when the other twenty percent happens, it's total disaster. And the other twenty percent is <laughs> if somebody has long hair, it just goes right on the mic, it drives everybody crazy, and the person doesn't hear the that happening yeah. themselves. Or if they have a big collar, forget it, and they always tell you, No, no, I'm not doing anything. Yes, you don't hear it, but I'm trust <laughs> me, I'm not just trying to be a, a jerk here. Yeah. Um you don't have a technical co founder. Do you ever feel like maybe you should bring somebody in at that role? Do you feel like maybe if uh, if you had that, the business would go in a different direction? I, If I had it to do over again, I 100% would. Um, I think we're too far along now to do that. Um, but you know, if I ever do this again, I 100% will have a technical co-founder. Yeah. yeah. Jonathan Bossinger, am I pronouncing his name right? Bossinger? Yeah. Yep. That that dude is such a perfect fit for you because doesn't he, I guess now he's running a WordPress development agency, right? Or a plugin agency. He he works for them. Yeah. He's kind of like uh, developer okay. advocate, uh, educator. Yeah. Uh, I thought he was, he was building it for them. I see. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. All right. Where do you think the future is? Let's talk future of podcasting here and the future of Castos in that space. What do you think is going to happen? Yeah, I think in the near term, say the next 24 months, uh, it's just continuing to see the the penetration of private podcasting, both for the the kind of maker crowd courses, online communities to, to deliver that content to their members and for companies to communicate internally. Um, and then I think the thing that we see past that is uh, what we call dynamic RSS feeds. So each individual person receives different content depending on characteristics and tags and attributes of, of those people. So Ooh. like you were talking about send in blue and you know, yeah. marketing automation is like, Hey, they know that Andrew is a customer. I'm going to send him this email instead of, I'm going to send this other one to someone else. Like the same idea will exist in podcasting. And, and we're starting to work on that a little bit now. Um, wait, especially wait. as it relates to private podcasting. Let's dig into that one. Wait. That's a great point. So for example, if somebody's into, say, more of the bootstrappy companies that I interview, they should get just that and not necessarily all the other stuff. It would be customized yep. to them. Ideally, it would be also if they're not listening to that interview, to like five interviews on a topic, the, the RSS should automatically adjust for it and say, you know what? Every time Andrew interviews a copywriter, this person tunes out, doesn't play we should adjust. Yep. You think you could do that within the, the confines of these apps? This is the problem, right? And this yeah. is where platforms like you mentioned YouTube, where they control the whole kind of stack, right? Storage, distribution, ads, listening experience. Spotify is in the same boat where they have a, con a controlled, closed ecosystem where they get all of that feedback. But conventional podcasting in the RSS feed is so kind of distributed and asynchronous to where like you publish and the podcast app on my phone picks it up. I download, you don't ever get that feedback loop to Libsyn or Castos right. or whatever about the listening behavior. Right. And the app developers for privacy reasons don't want to give that up either. Um, and so for conventional podcasting today, at least, no, we can't. For private podcasting, we definitely can. And and we we do gather some of that data and we're able to analyze kind of the listening behaviors of individual private subscribers to private podcasts. Um, and if you're using our mobile app, it's even better because we have like playback time and stuff. So you can say like, oh, Andrew, listen to this 35 minute episode for six minutes. Probably wasn't that into it. So yeah, I thought all of this dynamic RSS feed today and the way that RSS feeds are is um, is kind of only in the realm of, of private podcasting. I think also that we're going to start to see podcasts being created in more ways. And I wonder if you at Castos are going to do things like allow somebody to turn their Twitter space into a podcast. That feels like such a natural. I'm listening to uh, this one NFT podcast, I mean, not one NFT um, Twitter spaces thing that goes on every day when I drive back from dropping my kids off at school and I listen for a little bit, but I'm not always in the mood to listen. I wish I could just play it whenever I wanted to. And they're creating all that content already. They just need to level their audio because these guys have the whack, the most whacked out set of microphones <laughs> and then just put it in a podcast feed and they get more exposure. What do you think of that? Do you think that's part of what's going on? Yeah, I think that I think that there's some potential there. Uh, and, and like I remember, well, it's six or 12 months ago, everyone was like, Clubhouse is going to be the next biggest thing in billion dollar company, right? And it's, I don't know if it's still in business, right? But like, that's the problem with Twitter spaces and social audio in general is like, it's synchronous, right? You have to be live when yeah. they're live. Um, whereas podcasting is totally asynchronous. You can listen to it whenever you want. Um, and I think that as folks are able to kind of harness that live experience, repurpose it later as, as a podcast episode, um, that, that they'll be successful. I mean, there's no reason not to, right? You're recording that content. You might as well make it available to folks after the fact. Um, and, and those platforms just need to give tools like us uh, an option to, to tie into that and let folks repurpose it as a podcast later. There are already um, tools that are doing that, that are allowing creators to turn their Twitter spaces into, into recordable audio, but not yet submitting it to different podcast players. And that's, that's, I think, a missing piece. I think that's a big opportunity. I wonder if that's something you'd get into. Like how many YouTubers could also do, turn their things into podcasts? The problem is that there's not enough money in podcasting. So 10 YouTube, uh, 10 podcast listeners are not worth as much as one YouTube listener. 
But you can imagine someone like Ali Abdal who will, who has a million plus subscribers on YouTube and some of his stuff is just, let me tell you about a book I read. You don't need the visuals for that. You can imagine yeah. if he could just send the feed into you and you turn it into a podcast app for him or a podcast, uh, just a podcast for him. It feels like that's a win. I don't know. What else? Stream a little bit with me and then we'll close it out with that. Yeah, I mean, I think that you mentioned like the podcasting market is not big enough. And I think that that's um, the perception of a lot of people. And I think that right now you're right. But I think that the kinds of things that we're talking about are expanding that market greatly. And so like that's where I have a lot of hope that like we can be a really big company um, because like podcasting is still pretty new, even though like it's it's really kind of in prime time these days. Um, but But to answer your question, the other thing that we're thinking a lot about is like, bi-directional engagement, right? So like right now you talk, mm. people listen, there's no way for them to participate yeah. in the conversation. And so again, like in, in the realm of private podcasting, we're talking about like a way for people to comment or reply in audio format to, to your podcast. And you include that in like a, a future episode. So those are some things that we're thinking about that would be really cool. Like it makes, it makes it just a lot more dynamic and, and kind of multi-directional. Um, makes it a lot more like, like a blog, you know, which is the, the kind of analogy that a lot of people want to make of podcasting. Um, and I think that that, that sense of like audience participation is really important, but it's, it's how, how to do that logistically and make it manageable for you because like commenting can be, can be like really ugly sometimes. So like how I to make that, that manageable for you is a, a key big for that is don't make me listen to people's comments. Let me read them. And then mm. I, I could quickly breeze through, find the ones that I want to look at. All right. I think yeah. that when podcasting started, it was about how how do we take over the listeners who are listening to local radio? That's done. Local radio is no longer the threat. I know people are going to tell me the numbers are out there and blah, blah, blah. Okay, but that's dead. That's that's going down and it's not, it's not relevant in most of our lives and conversation. When was the last time you said, did you hear what that guy said on the radio? He shaped the way we're talking. No, it hasn't happened since like Rush Limbaugh yeah. or something, right? Now, I think the next step is to do two things. One is become ambient. So just like you might listen to music in the background, there needs to be more ambient options that we just listen to in the background. And it doesn't matter if you pay attention to them or not. With me, if you miss something, it might be an issue. But with Joe Rogan, it's not that big of an issue. That's ambient. That's different. And then the other thing is more educational. There are a lot of people who learn more from audiobooks than from paper books. And they're not being addressed yet online. There are a lot of people who would learn more from a podcast that they listen to on their drive back than from a course that they watch when they get back to their office. And that's not being addressed. All right. And I know that you guys are doing it at Castos. I really appreciate you coming on here and talking to me about this. The website for anyone who wants to go check it out is castos.com, right? Awesome. Thank you, Andrew. It was great. Thanks, Craig. Thank you, everyone. Bye.